0: Um, Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to church. My name is Matt Moberg. Thanks for coming through. Um, Yeah, you know, we are kind of in the midst of a chaotic moment prior to the new year starting, the summer year coming to a close, but it is always good to be with you guys. So thank you for showing up. I got a call this morning uh, from one of our Timberwolves players who's in the FIBA World Cup. He said, hey, can you tell me one more time what the thing is that you say at the beginning of every one of our chapels and that Gino starts his classrooms with. And so let me start there tonight with what I tell them, I want to make sure you hear. Who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Honest to God. Every time we gather here, I feel like every speaker that comes into this here pulpit, we have, we're passionate about different things, we want to like convey different forms of information, we want to do it the right way. But if you hear nothing else, at least hear this, who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are as a person is more important than what you do even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. We are in a series right now called Head, Heart, and Hands, and the idea behind it is we're trying to figure out what does it look like for us as a community, as us, for us as individuals to live in embodied faith. And so we're not just about like disconnected, disembodied concepts that we are like applying strict adherence to. We actually want to know what does it look like when it moves through our head, through our heart, and ultimately through our hands. How do we live this thing? out for what it all is. And I want to start tonight, Uh, Jay kicked it off last week with head, and he killed it. Let me start with heart, because I'm going to tell you what hurt my heart this past week. Um, It's on a golf course with a friend. Why are you laughing? This isn't funny. It's on a golf course with a friend had one missed shot. Maybe there were a few different, it doesn't matter. I, I made a mistake on the course, and you know, like sometimes would happen between any kind of like evolved human being who is like seasoned in their emotions and knows how to handle these adverse, I threw my club slightly to the right. <laughs> Julie, don't, don't. Not tonight, please. Slightly to the right. My friend had the audacity and looked me in the eyes, and he goes, you know what, Matt, I feel like sometimes you are a little bit dramatic, (laughs) and I kid you not, when he said that, it felt like my soul was being ripped out of my chest, like chewed on by thousands of dogs and I rolled on the floor of that lawn and I like threw my other clubs in the air and I go, what do you mean dramatic, there's nothing dramatic about me at all, how dare you, the audacity, how do you sleep at night knowing that you could say that to some other human being, another child of God, how could you do that? He had no problem doing that though. And um, it did put me in a place of reflection, so much so that when we were doing some summer cleaning, by we I mean my wife Lauren and I, and Juice Juice is with us as well, I forgot we got kids here, I'll be careful with my words. Um, I came across an old journal entry, and I also came to find out that maybe I am dramatic. Maybe I do want to, when I like open up journals, some of y'all are like, this is a safe place to process the emotions inside of my journals. Dear Diary, hi, it's me, Marta here. Here's what I've gone through today, that sort of thing. For me, it was like, in case I die and somebody reads this, let me show you how creative of a writer I actually was. Laugh it up, I dare you, not to my face, but later after the service. When I read this thing that I wrote though, Slightly after college when I was tasked with being in a- I was in a small group, a book club of sorts. We're going through this book on the Enlightenment period, it'll bore you. But I wrote this piece, and I don't want to sound like a tool, but when I read this piece the other day, (laughs) it absolutely did move me to tears in thinking about the implications of it. So what I would love to do for you is I want to read you what I wrote circa- Lauren, when did we get out of college? It's been a minute, long time ago, and that'll set the tone for where we tend to go, where we're going to go tonight, okay, Jack? This is what I wrote. Now again, context, enlightenment, think about this, okay? That's the angsty edge that's being applied here. In the 18th century, this is a journal entry, oh my gosh, when I say it out loud it becomes more and more ridiculous. So far when I was thinking about this sermon I was thinking it's all in my head, but when I say, who writes this kind of thing in the journal? In the 18th century. A new path was being paved by the rationalists, and a new curfew was being enforced upon those who would not submit. In the tremendously successful first volume of the encyclopedia, the triumphant, is there a echo on me right now? Is it better when I move over here? Well, it's better when you don't move all around. Well, that's, you know, ADHD's gonna probably prohibit that from happening, you know, so. I was saying <laughs> the triumphant and narrow Dennis Diderot said now here's the quote that I want us to lean into all things must be examined debated investigated without exception without regard for anybody's feelings we must ride roughshod over all of these ancient puerilities overturn the barriers that reason never erected and give back to the arts the sciences the liberty wait and the science is the liberty that is so precious to them I carry on. The dream of Diderot was liberation through the mind. This is, again, you're reading in my journal. Was he not aware though, who am I asking here, Teach? Was he not aware though that it would come at the cost of an enslaved soul? Did he not know that muzzles would be strapped upon the mouths of the mystics and the poets and the priests and the prophets and those who used colors to speak when words fell short? Did he not know any of these things? The rains fell much longer in those days. In a world run by mathematical and mechanical assertions that passed on wonder to opt for a naive and frail reason instead, the Enlightenment had left all of the people, all of us people, malnourished. The world was still filled with food, but the kitchen pantries were now all locked up. For those who rejected the paradigm that the Enlightenment proposed, those who could still feel that they were more than skin, tissue, and bone, they were treated like kids who were tucked in their beds at night while the adults drank downstairs and built worlds out on the porch. After all, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? How could the academy and the arts ever touch? Now here's the parable. Around this time... To ensure a better way forward for the entirety of humanity, there was a dinner party convened for the gods and their families to enjoy. Not long after hanging up his coat at the door, which was white with small pockets that held patterned handkerchiefs, peeking out like shy children behind the legs of their parents, the god Athens rose above the appetizers. And he announced that the table he had been placed at was no longer fit for him for this was now a kid's table and he didn't belong there. It was just a table moments before but now it was named and now it was mocked. Behind him in his wake sat Jerusalem and she was still and she was at peace. She was calm with the kids. She had no qualms with where she sat. And to be perfectly honest, she was not sure what Athens's false fuss was all about. In a voice that bellowed in confidence and perfect punctuation, Athens spoke once more and he invited all the other, and he made sure to make it clear, all the other adults nearby to follow him into the other room. One by one, they all stood to their feet and they tucked their shirts in and they cleaned their lips and then walked with their noses above their foreheads into the dining room down the hall. Their Athens assured them that they could indulge in finally a space where there were sophisticated thoughts that could be exchanged, not the clamor of child's play. The kids will be fine, he said. Jerusalem from the kids table heard the banter from the other room and not one to be left out. She stood up. She was about to join the others but as she did she looked to them and she started to read the nose that were across their aged faces. It's better that you just stay there, Shrugged their distinguished shoulders and hostile chins. We'll come check on you in a little while. And then they left to their dinner, a better dinner served with silver spoons and decorated napkins and not the plastic sporks, sporks that sat awkwardly in Jerusalem's hand while the paper roll in the middle of the table looked on. Through the barricading walls that Jerusalem hadn't noticed before, she could hear Athens roar about politics and career and medicine and honor and war and systematic theology and merits and the misplacement of the philosophies. Jerusalem looked down at her spork. She shifted with the mac and cheese around the plate and she just sighed. Though she enjoyed the company of those who sat with her still, the poets, the painters, the strange and the saints she started to miss the others terribly. Not so much in their present form, but more so who for who they were in their former form. The form that used to wake them all up before the sun would come up so they could only wash their ankles in the morning dew, baptized by breakfast as they wandered and walked with no answers in sight. Jerusalem thought their eyes used to open so wide, their jaws used to fall so far. Jerusalem wondered if they'd ever do so again. She wondered what will they do with what they do not know? How will they understand the tremble beneath their ribs when the lightning and thunder bash or the touch of a love that transcends fleshy atoms colliding? How will they describe a kiss? How will they grieve a grief? It is just inevitable inevitable that suppression will be their path and it broke Jerusalem's heart to know that they will call it enlightenment to sell it well. She started to fidget with her food some more. Across the table from where she stirred a small child with tangled hair and misplaced dimples that blushed in pink, wiggled her way towards her and propped herself up on the tips of her toes to kiss her ancient cheek. Where darkness Once broomed, there was a new light that started to beam. Even if previously too, she had wanted to join the adults in the other room, she now knew that she would not be allowed. She was disqualified from their company. She could feel this to be true. She was disqualified from their company because she could still feel. End scene. When you think about your lives, When you think about the things that bring you out to church on a Wednesday night when it's 200 degrees outside. When you think about consistently showing up and pursuing new things, new ventures, taking on old challenges and new ways. I know that you know what you know. I know that you know what to do with your head, but can you still feel it all? Are you at the kids table with Jerusalem? Barbara, you put your nose above your forehead and you found yourself at the adult table with Athens. Don't talk. Do you have any kind of maintenance preservation on the romantic side of your faith? We are talking tonight about the heart. I thought about that this morning when I prayed the prayer. I dropped my kids off at the grandma's house and I came back home and I prayed the prayer that I've prayed every morning now for the past three years. God, grant me the serenity. Grant me the serenity, grant me the peace, grant me the composure, grant me the stability, grant me the ability to hold my ground. I can't change all things. Grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change and would not choose. Grant me the serenity, grant me this feeling. It strikes me as odd, you know, the prayer that I pray every morning, it goes on to ask for courage and wisdom as well. But it's known as the serenity prayer. I find it within myself very easy to like muster up the courage to do something that I don't want to do or something that I'm fearful of and I can look elsewhere in my network, you people in particular, to find the wisdom that I need in a moment. But the serenity, the peace, the feeling of accepting the things I cannot change and would not choose that tangent in and of itself this morning, it led me to think about religions in general. You know, religions as we gather here in a religious environment, we, we tend to orient around different things. Some religions are big on prioritizing the doing of their religion. You do this thing, you go through this ritual, you serve these people, you show up at this place, you are calendar driven in that way. Other religions in the same breath go about the being of it all. Not like a cost to the doing, but it's about what you, who you are before it is about what you do. You be before you do, you, you become before you do. Those are two different priorities in our Christian tradition. As we tap in and participate in the story of our forefathers and foremothers that came before us and we stand on their shoulders and receive this tradition, our tradition is always oriented around the idea of what you believe. That's been a big part of our tradition is it it is about the doing, it is about the being, but it's also primarily about the believing and not just like a mental ascent to different ideological forms or frameworks it's about this idea of like I have a deep sense of faith that this is true this is true this is true this is true there are no religions that I'm aware of right now who prioritize the feelings the quiet moments in the morning at the kids table next to Jerusalem where you say God God grant me the serenity. I just want to be okay. I just want to like, can you just give me some semblance of peace right now? As I try to face these ridiculous, stupid, I can't come, it's overwhelming. Will you grant me the serenity? There are no religions that prioritize your feelings. And so it completely makes sense to me that none of us are really prioritizing our feelings. We're not putting a prime emphasis on saying like, unless we're mindful of our interior landscape, we won't make it out okay. There's this moment in Luke 17, Jesus is being cornered by a group of Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they get a bad rap, I promise you they are not as bad as Christians will lead you to believe, but they're angsty. And I would argue actually in 10,000 different ways, they're consistently asking for God to grant them the serenity of things they cannot change. It comes out convoluted and not the way that maybe you'd want them to. But they're asking Jesus in this moment right here, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Kingdom of God, kingdom of God, whatever language you want to use. It is the space whereas the gospel of Radiohead reads, everything is in its proper place, operating it as it actually should be the whole time. No interferences are at hand. When is that space, that place, that reality going to be an a infiltrating thing on me? Think about it beyond the hats that they wear as Pharisees, the individual men that approach Jesus in this moment. When can I be at peace? And yes, there's an interrogative sense. They're trying to like corner hole him and, and, and pigeon him into this spot. But it's, the ache is still real. It's not absent from the scene. When is the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus, in my mind, it might not be true, but he looks at him and goes like, y'all, like, come on. I've heard this before, I just sat with a woman at the well the other day where she was talking about like how my people worship on this mountain and your people worship on that mountain. Jesus goes like, yes, there is no mountain. That's not the point of the whole thing. Eventually there's going to come a time where the curtain's going to lift and the veil will be torn. You will finally see that we all worship in spirit and truth, authenticity rooted in what's real, not these different religions that we practice along the way. Jesus, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus says to him, the coming of the kingdom is not something that your eyes will be able to perceive. Nobody's going to slap you on the back and say, hey, it's right there, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is entas humon. Pull of the crowd right now. How did you interpret that, those words right there? Entas humon. When you heard this line, the kingdom of God is what? Everywhere, all the time, what was that? Huh, at hand, yep, in your midst, who said that? Oh, Bill, from nowhere, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) I should've known, (laughs) in your midst is a great answer. So we've been given all these different prescriptions on what the entosmone actually means, and honestly, we have a limited amount of time. Debbie, give me time. i got three, four minutes left. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Wrap it up, Matt. Okay. <laughs> When you think about how like naive, especially Christians in Christianity today, the people that speak for the faith today, how ignorant they can be of their own interior landscapes and you start to ask why, one of the answers that I would give you is because in 1958 when the NRSV came out, it told you that it was in the midst of you right now. When the NIV came out later on, it said that it was, among you, RSV, sorry, in your midst right there. what was the last one, Patty? When the NRV came out, the latest version of all these publications, mind you, from the 16th century to the early parts of the 20th century, it was always King James, which has like tons of translation issues in and of itself, that we're not going to dive into the weeds on that right now. (laughs) But like it was always a divorce from this right here, and it did not ever make sense. There's always been embedded in modern Christianity, the, that practice, that tradition that you and I are recipients of and participants in. There's always been this sense of stay away from what's going on within you. Many of us grew up within it. I'll speak for myself. Things like happiness, uh, contentment, satisfaction, or flip side, sorrow, dissatisfaction, uncertainty. Those were always like demeaned to be lesser than the important things, matters of the flesh." Those aren't like the main things. Let's divorce and disconnect from those things. May I just, I don't mean to scapegoat any particular person or institution or otherwise, but when we take from the King James a within you, and we go to in the midst, those are not the same things. Among you is different than within you. I can be among friends. That's different from my friends being within me. I can be among great golfers. That's different. I have get to meet a great golfer within me. Thank you for that sympathy. <laughs> there is a wide gap between among you and within you. And when you actually look at the text that we are doing now, I think modern scholarship today is fascinating. I know I have a limited amount of time and I want to make sure that we keep it concise and clean, but what we are finding when we actually dive deep into the Syriac, which is a dialect of the Aramaic, which is the original language of Jesus. When we try to understand what is this language, what are these words, because the difference for those who are adherents of this faith and take seriously the words of Jesus is monumental. What we are finding is that the words, it shows up one other place inside of all the New Testament. Patty, next slide. It's here. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside, inside, in toss right there. We do have other places for the word among, if they wanted to actually slide that in right there. Nerd out with me one more second. Go next slide, Patty. This is the other spots in the Gospels where we see the word among manifest in our scriptures today. It's sitting among the teachers, you get it. You get the point I'm trying to get at right now. Ultimately, what I'm trying to ask of you, and daily what I'm trying to ask for myself, there are so many different things that we all try to do, right? Pursue the new acquisition, house, career, job, friend, partner, I don't know, whatever the thing is that you need to adorn your life to make you believe that you're worthwhile. Always pursuing that serenity outside of what is here. But Jesus makes it crystal clear, at least according to the good Dr. Luke. The Pharisees come and say, when's it gonna happen? When is the new reality of peace, when all the pieces are in the right proper place, when is it gonna fully come to manifest? And he says, wait a second you guys, stop looking out there, grab a mirror, grab a journal, ask yourself what you're pretending not to know. Ask yourself where it's been hurting the most. Ask yourself in those quiet spaces, what makes you feel alive? Pay attention to your heart. It should have always been prioritized in the Christian tradition. We have failed as a tradition to uphold the practices and words of Jesus. In this community, among us as people, I don't want that to be so. Jesus, God, you are good. Jesus, we are grateful. Lord, help us to remain connected to you. Help us to listen to you when you say to connect to what is deepest within us. Help us be mindful of all the different ways we put lipsticks on pigs, we try to bury treasures and not look in that field for it. Help us have an awareness, God, that everything we need is already here and that you are the good giver and we have been gifted. God, my prayer for our community, for me, for us, is that we would actually not let this just be a sermon with different talking points, soundbites, whatever, but that we could actually have some quiet spots in the week and we would listen to where your voice is speaking and is saying, are you okay? Why are you sad? What are you hoping for? Show me where it hurts the most. Let us be as intimate to you as you are to us. In Christ's name, we all pray together. Amen.
1: I have a lot of thoughts swirling around in my head. Hopefully, it will move to my heart. But this idea of the kingdom of God within us, God in our midst, that we can't actually separate those things, right? That we it's an experience of God that's not an experience here. But it's a sometimes unexplainable experience right here because it goes beyond who we are in our circumstances. We can be filled with awe, the awesomeness of God, even in the midst of some of the hardest moments. And I love this idea that it is God within us. And the night before Jesus died, he sat at a table. He was amongst his friends. Jesus was in their midst, but not for long. But what he promised is when he left, he would be with them always. And that is God with us, in us. Not just here, but here too. And as he sat at that table with his friends, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup and he filled that cup with wine and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant. When you drink from this cup, remember me. And that's what we do. And on this night in particular, when you come forward during the music and you take that bread and you dip it into the cup, you can remember, be reminded that it's God in you, It's a matter of the heart, even when that's so counter-cultural. So we invite you to do just that. Please stand. And together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done
0: you just close your eyes and hold out your hands, you don't have to if you're uncomfortable with that. But I think one of the things we've discerned as a community is that God is longing consistently to speak into our hearts and to remind us of what is true beyond whatever talking head at a pulpit or online, on Twitter, Twitter. that's not a thing. It's Twitter It's not oh no, gosh Matt. Retire for the evening. God is always longing to speak into us something that is true. And so we give the same benediction every week, hoping that it will move past your head and past your hands and into that space of your heart. And so, children of God, hear these words from the heart of God. Friends, no matter who you are, what you've done, who you love, or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed. Please know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you as is right now are a beloved child of God. The kingdom of God is within you. Is live, bubbling up within you. Turn and see that this is true. Beloved, you belong. Go in peace. We'll see you in maybe two weeks, is it? Next week. Never mind. Next week. Wow. Okay. Retire Matt. All right. <laughs>